Are you looking to maximize the amount of money that you can make from side hustles? If so, don't forget to join the Side Hustler Society newsletter so you can stay up to date and posted on when we come out with new content. By joining the newsletter, you will also receive Chapter 5 of my best-selling book, The Anatomy of Financial Success. This chapter specifically focuses on income as well as the various types of income and what income will work best for you based on your expectations and overall what you want when it comes to money. Go to www.fachapter.com to join the newsletter and get started. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Side Hustler Society podcast. And uh, in this episode, we're actually going to be taking a look at some audio. We're not taking a look. We're actually going to be replaying a, a interview that I did with Kamari Ellis, also known as the Financial Rebel. Now, he's a uh, enrolled agent and a tax advisor, so he has a lot of uh, value to offer when it comes to uh, gig workers and freelancers. In fact, the interview I did with them a few years back, the information is still very much re- relevant because tax advice is pretty much timeless unless there's something specifically changed in specific instances. But the general concept is usually going to remain uh, the same. Now, the interview was for gig workers. And when I say gig workers, um, most people assume that that means Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, those these type of app drivers. That's basically who it was for. But the original term gig worker actually applied to freelancers. And ironically enough, everything we talked about mostly can also apply to freelancers when it comes to uh, tax advice, too. Now, there are maybe 20 percent in the interview. There are certain things directly geared towards like Uber, Eats and Lyft drivers, stuff like that. But the other 80 percent can be applied to freelancers, too, when it comes to uh, keeping track, keeping records to file your taxes as well as how you file your taxes. Now, most people usually come out with this content at the beginning of the year because that's when you can start filing taxes or or when uh, the paper, you're waiting for your paperwork so you can file taxes. In my opinion, I think that's a little too late. I mean, what about the advice that you can have that you can implement like towards the end of the year when you find out, hey, I could be doing this, this, and this. If you put out content towards the beginning of the year, well, yeah, that'll help people file their taxes and understand what deductions that they can do. But half the battle is actually planning and uh, seeing what's in your inventory to uh, use. So if you're aware of some of this stuff before the year ends, you may be able to maximize your um, tax deductions because you actually know what's going on versus, oh, I found this out after the year is over. So I can all I can do is take advantage of certain stuff that I already did. So that's why I'm actually going to be releasing this part right now as opposed to like in the beginning of 2023 but with that being said we're going to go ahead and get into the podcast enjoy get value and remember this isn't just for uber and lyft drivers stuff like that it's also for freelancers because there's a lot of game in it for anyone doing really any kind of side hustle or just a hustle in general so let's get to it Welcome to the Side Hustler Society Podcast with your host, Elijah Bilal. This is where you can find out more about hustles that are best for you. And of course, make more money in the process. Elijah has been in the gig economy and freelance space for over five years and has done over 3,000 deliveries on Uber Eats. He's an Airbnb super host, runs multiple YouTube channels, and is the author of the best-selling book, 
the anatomy of financial success. It's his mission to empower people with the tools needed to be successful. Now, welcome your host, the king of side hustles, Elijah Bilal. Looks like we're live. Anyone that's in the uh, chat, if you can hear me or not hear me, you know, let me know. That'd be greatly appreciated. We'll wait a little while let, to let uh, come in. And uh, while we're at it, y'all have probably heard me say several times that blah, 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 you should do this and that. And uh, I'm not a tax advisor, but well, guess what? I'm tired of saying that. That's why today we're going to actually be talking to an actual tax professional. His name is Ellis, and he actually has his own YouTube channel where he talks about uh, personal finance, tax issues, and financial planning in general. Now, when it comes to taxes, I'm going to quote a uh, book by Robert Kiyosaki. It's uh, Increase Your Financial IQ. And in that book, the rich dad says that in society, taxes pay for part of society. With that being said, we should, it's our responsibility to reduce that as possible. And doing that is a science within itself. So with that being said, we got to learn the tools that we can do to make that possible, as well as everything we can do in our power those taxes. So with that being said, we're going to be talking about the economy, people who drive for Uber, for Lyft, Uber East, DoorDash, these gig apps, how they can file their taxes, what type of deductions that they can take advantage of, and other things that uh, revolve around taxes in the gig economy. We're gonna start off asking a few of you, a few questions that y'all have mentioned. And then we're gonna go into a general Q&A that y'all have, that y'all can post in the chat. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on Kamari Ellis. Hey, Kamari, can you hear me? Yes, sir. How you doing, Elijah? Happy Sunday. <laughs> I'm doing good. How about yourself? Uh, no complaints, no complaints at all. <laughs> That's good to hear. I'm uh, happy to finally bring you on because uh, yeah, this has been a bit yeah. of a journey, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a journey, but uh, a journey always denotes progress. So that's the beautiful part. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Before we go into the uh, actual Q and A on the taxes, in terms of uh, like uh, what you do, why don't you uh, tell us a little about uh, your profession and uh, how you how you got started? Sure, sure. I am a tax. I'm a tax advisor and financial strategist. I've been in the financial services industry for over 20 years. Started out working with my dad. Um, I used to go to his house, well, not his house. I would go to his office every day after school because he didn't want me to be a latchkey kid. Because when I got out of school, I would have to go home and be by myself. And this was in like elementary school. So at that point, I would go to his office all the time. I would wreak havoc with his employees, distract them. <laughs> do all kinds of shenanigans, have fun, but it was destructive fun. But he got to the point where he got frustrated because, you know, he's my dad. He's trying to make money to put food on the table. And, you know, he said, you know what? Read this book. It was book. It was the book called The Publication 17. It's a book about individual taxation or a publication from the IRS about individual taxation. Then once I read that, he started me down the track of doing taxes when I was a really, really young age and doing bookkeeping and bank rec bank reconciliations and all that old fun stuff. I hated it at the time, but <laughs> I'm actually super appreciative for it now. Oh, that's a beautiful origin story. Cause it's, it's one thing to go to school for something, 
But it's another thing if it was kind of in the family and those uh, seeds of education were kind of embedded in you. It makes a huge difference. True. That's, uh, True. Yeah. Now, the part I left out was uh, I ran my dad's office for a few years because um, he had the, the tax office and he also had some property management that we handled for a couple of clients of ours, along with a few of his properties. And then, like I said, I never really liked it. So then I left there, went back to school, Temple University, financed in, uh, majored in finance. And then I went out to become a financial advisor, working with many, many agencies, getting Series 6, Series 7, Series 65 license, life and health license. And then I wound up going over and becoming a uh, investment analyst and ultimately a portfolio manager, managing money basically on Wall Street for clients. Um, love that. That was probably my dream job. But then it came to an end. They said, we want to go in a different direction. We want you to move to this other job, which was more like accounting. It was fun. It was fun accounting. Actually, that was the title. And I said, nah, I don't want to do that. So I went out on my own, formed a partnership with some friend of mine, with some friends of mine. And we started, you know, a practice to do financial planning, tax advising and investment planning as well. That didn't work out well. <laughs> that didn't work out at all. And then I found myself here after this next invention and recreation of myself with the Philly tax team. I'm an enrolled agent with the IRS, which means I can help clients practice before the IRS, kind of have the same authority as a lawyer would or a CPA would, helping people with IRS tax debt before the IRS. So it's been a it's been quite the journey to get here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh that's nice to hear. I mean, obviously uh there are some struggles involved, but when you come out on the other side, you really hear that story. But everyone, I'm gonna apologize because it just started getting uh, crazy weather-wise over here, but uh we're gonna make it happen. That's fine. <laughs> so about um how long have you been in the uh, YouTube game? Because um I've seen that you've had a YouTube channel for a little while. So that's a trick question, right? So I think my first YouTube channel went up in like 2011 or 2012 but i never really took it seriously i put up a video to it here and there they all sucked um and then i think i kind of got serious around 2018 2019 um with the with youtubing and and making videos and being more you know more present in terms of content creation i started out radio right that's how i kind of got involved and content creation I had a radio show and then kind of fell in love with social media. So I naturally, I love radio, uh -huh. not really so much for the camera, but what I found was that, you know, I got dared to do like a 30 day challenge. And then once from there, I started uh, taking it serious going forward because I was actually afraid of, afraid of video to be honest. And I don't really like to be afraid of anything. So I kind of pushed myself to do it, even though it's still not my first love. <laughs> But I saw I saw that everyone really is gravitating towards video. And the beautiful thing about video is you can actually repurpose it really quickly and cleanly and just stripping out the audio. So I said, all right, I can get two for one when I do the video. So it made sense. <laughs> uh, you're the opposite of me. I like video. I hate video. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I, th that's been to learn throughout the years i can't really explain why i don't like audio but uh it is what it is but, but I, I can, the most important thing in video is actually audio <laughs> you know what you're right maybe 
I'm kind of anti-podcast. But I think about it, I've been doing video the whole time. I mean, audio by default. Right. <laughs> right. I got you. I got you. I mean, listen, some people are naturals um, at video. I, I think um, uh, those people who kind of gravitate towards video probably would put audio on a back burner. And so, you know, they really got to start getting their chops. But I don't think I'll ever be like the, the super duper great charismatic person on camera. But I think I'm doing all right. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Hey, uh, everyone's first videos, I don't care what they say, they suck. My first videos, if you go and look at them, I look stiff as hell. Yep. <laughs> yep. Nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a good time to segue into the uh, general Q&A for gig workers. So everyone, if y'all have any questions, leave them in the chat. We'll get to them later once we address these uh, main questions first, but you can go ahead and start leaving them in the uh, chat. So like when it comes to uh, people who drive for Uber, Uber Eats, Lyft, a lot of times they may, come in, they may be coming from scenarios where they don't have to focus so much on taxes because a company may do it for them. They're coming from a job scenario. Then they enter the gig world and it's kind of like, okay, I'm just going to start driving or make money with uh, ride share or delivery. Uh-huh. And they don't realize the tools they have at their disposals, what deductions that they can uh, use. So what advice would you give to someone? Let's say I just got off from working at Amazon. I'm going to start driving for Uber. Like what advice from a tax perspective would you go ahead and give that person? Well, I got a question. Well, let me make the statement first. So sometimes people that do gig gig work, you know, gig economy kind of get fooled, right? Because it's a gig. Usually when you say gig, it's affiliated with work, nine to five, eight to 12, some kind of overnight shift. But in the actuality, you're an actual business owner. And so you should start to think of yourself as a business owner and conduct yourself as a business owner. Now to address your question, if you got off from Amazon and then went to Uber, so are they an employee at Amazon or are they a 1099 worker? Because there's plenty of people that are delivering for Amazon as well that are part of the overall gig economy. So what, which I don't want to give the wrong answer here. All right. Let's one is an employee for Amazon and for whatever reason quitting, so they decide to go full time and they're driving for Uber or Lyft or something like that. Well, I'll say this before you go full time with any gig type situation, Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, um, Uber Eats and any of those. Um, think about what you're leaving behind at your job. Think about if there are any benefits, health benefits. Right. A lot of times we a lot of our gig economy workers are younger. There are older ones out there, but a lot of them are younger. They don't think about health insurance. They don't think about medical coverage. They don't think about any of that, because, you know, when you're young, you think you're invisible, rightly so. Like, I'm not mad at that. But just just think about this. If you ever get sick and young people do get sick, sadly, how are you going to pay for it? Right. And would you be better off just working your job, maintaining your benefits, saving your money and maybe kind of doing your side hustle or your gig or your Uber on the side instead of going full full time? You know, which one is going to maximize you getting the most money in your pocket along with the most, let's say, tangible benefits? Because even though healthcare is intangible, I call it tangible because when you go to the doctor, you can actually feel that bill. When you- <laughs> <laughs> so, but just, just kind of run through all those different scenarios. Now, this doesn't qualify for people who work in toxic environments. If you are in a toxic environment, leave. Because that toxic environment is killing your health anyway. So it's no need in staying there. Now, 
I talk to some people sometimes and they, they feel that it's a toxic environment because their boss asked them to do some work. <laughs> That's what you're there for, right? You're trading your time to get their dollars. But, you know, if you have a boss that does that and you do your work and you do it reasonably well, and then they want to talk to you all kinds of ways and berate you and give you um, on good work conditions, then yeah, you should leave. You should leave. Rock out, go somewhere else, figure it out. Life's not worth uh, the shortcomings of that. But to answer your questions, right, what should you be thinking about? So one number one, when you work a nine to five and you get paid, it's mandatory that they take taxes out of your check. When you work nine to five, let's say now you're working nine to five for yourself. You are your own boss. Uber or Lyft or any of those folks do not take taxes out of your check. And I see a lot of people get jammed up. So you have to be pretty disciplined when you do this, because, again, you are a business owner. You're not a gig worker. You're not a 1099 contractor or employee. You are a business owner, even though you make it a 1099. Right. Even though they may call you a gig worker, you are a business owner. And so you are entitled to all the tax deductions that any business owner would have, whether you are an LLC corporation, a partnership, any of those things, you yourself um, as a gig worker, as a driver, or any of those things are entitled to all your business tax write-offs, whether it be mileage, whether it be food, like um, for, let's say you do a uh, uh, some kind of business meeting. Maybe you say, you know what? I can take my Uber hustle and I can actually parlay this into a real business doing some kind of transportation services and you meet with someone who's going to send you clients you can write that off now you can't write off you just going to mcdonald's that's not a legitimate write off <laughs> right but you can write off if you take you know again this guy or gal who has great relationships in the transportation field maybe they know a lot of consultants a lot of executives who need transportation to, to the airport, to the train station, to jobs, maybe sometimes interstate. By the way, I used to drive Uber and Lyft. <laughs> so I'm speaking about this first thing. All right. So and when I was driving Uber and Lyft, I always kind of would, um, I would think about the real benefits, right? Because I always felt that unless you're right, really, really, really in a great area, in a great spot that's really busy, I think the advantages are more geared towards the company. However, some of the relationships that you meet doing it, doing that can be priceless um, and can lead to a lot of other things. So when I did it, I wound up getting some consultants because I got lucky meeting some consultants, some lawyers who would take, like, say, the same train and had to be to the train at the same time. And they didn't want to wait. Um, they didn't want to wait to try to get an, um, a driver through the app. And so they said, hey, you're pretty nice. Would you like to be in my house at six o'clock every day? Get me to the train station by by six thirty, and I'll pay you X, Y, Z, and it'll be outside of the app. Yes. Now, technically, you're supposed to pay tax on that. I know the platforms do not look um, favorably upon that. They really don't. <laughs> I, I, that's why I'm giving the disclaimer. That's why I don't do it anymore. So I, I get my my statute of limitations is up. My statute of limitations is up. But listen, it's a great way to build. You could build the book of business. If I was like, I actually like to drive. So I said to myself, if I really wanted to do this, I would go buy 
a nice car, maybe like a Chrysler 300 or maybe a Lincoln or a Cadillac or maybe even an SUV, right? And I would start building clientele by marketing to law, uh, lawyers and accountants and consultants, people who travel a lot, who don't want to necessarily wait for the Uber and Lyft. Like, uh, there is a great possibility there. Yes, everybody's going to kind of lean on the Lyfts and the Ubers. However, there are a group of people who just want the convenience of someone being there when they're ready to go, someone to drop them off, and then someone to pick them up when they're ready to come back. So I would look at it as a real business opportunity. I wouldn't just look at it as just something to do. So again, with that said, I kind of got off on a tangent because I was trying to explain how you could write off your meals. So again, if I met with somebody who, you know, was going to connect me with, with other people that might need contacts, I could take them to, to dinner or lunch. I can write off a portion of that bill. Actually, the IRS has had a, 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 a change for, for meals. Now you can write off 100% of it. It used to be 50%. Now you can write off 100%. Right. The IRS, listen, the IRS code, if you don't learn anything else today, just remember this. The IRS code, the tax code, is it incentivizes people to be helpful to the overall United States economy, right? So right now with, with COVID and everything else that's going on, they said, you know what? We're going to make um, meals 100% a write-off. As, as before, they were only 50%. Mm-hmm. Why? They want to get people more incentive to go to restaurants. They want it because the restaurant industry is hurting. If the restaurant industry falls or falls any harder, you're going to have more layoffs. So they're trying to they're trying to incentivize folks to kind of protect that industry to a certain degree. And so just be just be uh, aware of that. Just be aware of that. But again, you can write off things like meals. If you're giving your uh, your passengers water or candy or, you know, some kind of favor. Like I also know some people would do like these um, these guides around town and they would actually have them printed up and give them to them. With their number, with their number uh, on the inside of them, so they could call them back when they needed a ride. Right, it was marketing for them. You can write that yeah. off. You can you can write that off. Um, mm-hmm. Car maintenance, you can write that off. Um, I'm trying to think, registration fees, gasoline, any of that. So you can write all of that off. Nice. And uh, just to expand on that meal portion. So let's say I'm a driver. And I'm driving eight hours a day. I mean, eight hours in one day. So I'm out most of the day. And I decide to swing by such and such restaurants to have dinner. Like that meal is technically I'm out working. So does that qualify as a deduction from a meal perspective too? Technically, no. Because Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be for the benefit of the business. And I know what you're going to say. Well, hey, I've been driving for eight hours. If I don't eat, I'm going to crash. That's for benefit. But you would have had to eat that anyway, right? So you got to be able to show. You got to be able to show that it was a real, ordinary and ordinary and necessary cost for the business, for it to be a legitimate write-off. Nice, because there are some uh, misconceptions that float around in the gig economy, and yes. uh, that's one of them. You know, yeah. you brought up a you brought up a good point about uh, when it comes to health insurance, like mm-hmm. uh, and for those of y'all that are listening from a financial nap is directly geared towards young adults and even the app lifestyle. I've looked at my uh, demographics and a large portion of my demographics are between twenty five and thirty five. So just as young people, you want to really take that in consideration before you quote unquote leave the nine to five and go off and do this gig stuff. 
it should be looked at as a, as a side hustle in general. And if you do end up doing it full time, have a game plan for it to be temporary while you get something else off the ground. I yeah, that's, yeah. And um, as far as uh, driving people from point A to point B, uh, I used to do that a lot. I would uh, I say the technical way is to do it inside the app. So you'll be covered by your Uber and Lyft's commercial insurance. But, you know, building your steady clientele, having them call you and then going there, then uh, they keep requesting. And so they driver that can be a lot of a good way to build your network and make money. Yep. And a lot of people are sleeping on it. If you build a lot of rapport with one particular passenger, a lot of times they wouldn't mind having you again. They'll ask you, hey, give them the methodology on how to make that happen. Listen, I have a lady that still calls me to this day. Uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been ride, driving for at least three or four years, um, but she she'll like do she wants to run to the airport, and she's an older lady, and she doesn't want any fuss, and she she likes me. Matter of fact, I've even sent my son to 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 drive her when I couldn't do it, and she's cool. You know, I'll drop her off at the airport, then go schedule the time I'm going to pick her up. <laughs> and so it's, I got two, two fares already lined up um, for just picking up that one person. So it works. It can work. It can work. Nice. So like when it uh, comes to taxes, like uh, there's some confusion about this in the gig economy, mm-hmm. about the two methods that you can use as far as deductions, the uh, standard mileage deduction or the actual expense method. Like uh, what advice would you give to gig workers on, how to choose which one would be more practical for them to maximize their um, tax savings or deductions. Most times the, the standard mileage is going to give you the most bang for your buck, especially when you don't keep good records. So like you said, you can do the standard or you can do the actual um, actual, you should keep good records to protect yourself from the chance of being audited by the IRS because they can blow it off because a lot of people like to just dream up numbers and I get it. It's cool. But if you can't document those numbers and, God forbid the IRS calls your number and they call, they say, well, how many oil changes did you get? And you say, I got 10 oil changes. All right, where are the receipts? Where are the invoices? Because you wrote off that you, that, you know, you spent $400 on oil changes at $40 a pop. I mean, that's not, that's not unreasonable, but where's the documentation? So you got to have documentation in order to back it up. The other thing I would say about standard models. So again, Standard miles probably is going to be your best way to go. But when you use the app, the app only tracks the time you are, uh, what is it, the time you actually want to ride. It doesn't track the whole time you are out driving, working, or waiting. So I would also recommend you not use whatever statement you get from Lyft and Uber. Um, I would say keep your own mileage. Keep your own, keep track, keep your own mileage log. Because nine times out of 10, if you keep your own mileage log, it could be the difference of you saving thousands and thousands of dollars on your taxes because you will have it more accurate um, and more close to what you actually did while you were out driving. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of uh, confusion about that. And that's the way you did is perfect. Because uh, for those of y'all that are wondering, like, well, how would I keep good records? There's plenty of uh, apps out there yep. that will help you do it. Like uh, one I use is a Stride, and they literally have a place to where you can uh, take a picture of your receipts and then put the amount and put whatever it's under, so ride share or delivery. And that that's just one app. There are plenty of apps. You just got to uh, search for them. But uh, if you're lazy, like, 
feel free to look up that stride. Yeah, I've never heard of Stride before. I only uh, I usually recommend either Miles IQ or um, QuickBooks Self Employed, but I have to look up Stride. I definitely have to look up Stride. Yeah, like uh, one thing about Stride is uh, you can track your mileage with it. So as soon as you start your day with Uber or Lyft or whatever, you just uh, hit the plus button on the app and it starts tracking the mileage. And that's so mm-hmm. important because uh, in a ride sharing delivery terms, there's three periods: it's period one, period two, period three. Period one is when you're looking for a trip or delivery. Period two is when you've uh, accepted a trip and you're heading towards the drop, towards the person or towards the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And period three is when you're dropping off the food or the passenger. Apps only keep track of period two and three. Period one, if you're not tracking your mileage, you're leaving a lot of, you're giving the IRS a bigger check than you need to. I'll put it that way. That's correct. I was actually going to segue into this next question that was asked by a uh, viewer. He is actually on a bike, and with him being on a bike, he was asking what are some good deductions that he can utilize because a lot of people uh, do these apps on a car, in a car, and uh, there's some things you can do on a bike, too. In fact, uh, I have a friend that's making over $20 an hour doing DoorDash on a bike, which is pretty crazy. I- I'll leave that uh, link to his video linked in the description, but uh, what advice would you give to someone who's on a bike? So are we talking about just a plane bicycle or a motorbike, like a motorcycle or a moped? Well, let's uh, say bicycle because he did say bicycle. Okay. Well, kudos to him because I'm pretty sure he's in good shape. I probably need to get my jump. <laughs> but um, you, you have the same options for the same uh, expenses, but obviously you can't write off gas. Uh, you, you know, it's a good question, though. I don't know how mileage will be handled. I have to like, look. I'm assuming he would have to probably use the actual expense method because like mileage probably. Right. Yeah. Like in that situation, it probably would be more practical to look at the actual expense because I'm, I'm not sure if mileage could play a factor in that. Uh, I, I don't know. That's just a good question. Yeah. I never, I never even thought about that. I never even thought about that, but let me, I'm looking it up right now real quick. Um, <laughs> Because uh, th- that's a pre- that's a damn good question. Yeah, it's a very good question. I've never I've never had it before. Well, listen, that's why you got to stay humble <laughs> and be <laughs> like long suited because you can you can learn something anywhere, anytime. Uh man, so man, man, man. While he's looking that up, I will say that uh, unless a family member gave it to you, I'm assuming you probably paid money for that bike. By default, it's probably tax deductible. Right. So the, definitely the cost of the bike will be tax deductible. Um, any maintenance on the bike will be tax deductible uh, or tax write-off. Um, um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think. If, yeah. you, if anyway. you use a phone mount and you mount, mount it on the bike, that'd be tax deductible? The phone mount or the or the phone? No, the phone mount. Like, what's keeping your phone steady while you're, you're pedaling? That would absolutely be tax deductible. Any of your gear that you're using to to deliver will be tax deductible. All right. Yeah. And, and even, oh, your your cell phone is also tax deductible too for anybody that's on a bike or in a car. However, that was my next question. He beat me to it. I, I, I mean, how much? 
can you write off your cell phone reasonably without triggering an audit? Because some people try and write off 100%, and half the time they're on the phone with their girlfriend, and the right. other half the time they're actually using it for business. So remember, it's it's a business expense, right? So it should be anything that's ordinary and necessary for business. So if you have one cell phone line and you're using it for personal and business, please do not, please, please, please do not write off 100% of your bill. You're asking for a fight. Um, and you don't want that fight with the IRS. You're not going to win. So I would say use something more reasonable, 60%, 50%. And also, you know, do a pretty good job of documenting the hours that you work. Now, again, I, when I do tax returns, I do a tax return based on can it stand up to the defense of an audit, which means that if the IRS pulls my, if the IRS pulls my tax return, will I be able to defend? Will I be able to prevail, right, and, and be able to protect my client? Because if not, then oftentimes it usually costs my clients more money. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, uh, it could it could result in them um, losing money or being fined and penalized. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. So, but yeah, so I would say somewhere 50, 60, 40 percent. I would just try to be as honest and accurate about that as possible and be able to document and, and show that and communicate that. Okay. And uh, that, so on the flip side, let's say if you have two phones, cause a friend that does a, a bike, he uh, does DoorDash on a bike. He actually has two phones. One is personal use and one is strictly for business. So if you have one strictly for business in that scenario, you could write off a hundred percent of it, right? Absolutely. Cause it's strictly for business. And I mean, listen, a lot of people think the IRS and these tax authorities are dumb. These people are not dumb. So <laughs> if they see you with one phone, they're like, you're young, you're partying, you're having a good time. You probably got a girlfriend. Bay, <laughs> Bay, Bay is out there somewhere, right? It's like, he's using his phone to call his girl or she's <laughs> using her phone to call her guy, right? So, you know, they're not stupid. They're not stupid. Uh, you know what? I got a question as a YouTuber because some people do actually have do this uh, gig economy stuff, but they have YouTube accounts. Mm -hmm. I've made a lot of videos in the past using my phone. So does that give any leeway to up to up maybe 50 percent to 60 or 70 percent in terms of usage? How many phones do you have? <laughs> but, right, because I would I would assume your YouTube job is separate from your Uber job. Right. I mean, it might. They might they may coincide, but your your YouTube money, if you are indeed monetized, is its own separate line of, of business. It's totally different than than Uber, right? Uber has its own issues. So like it, it's two separate businesses. Unless, again, unless you are doing um YouTube for the sake of getting more Uber. Like cause I know some people use YouTube to, to get their referrals up um and things like that, especially back in the day. People were making buku money. Um, using you using um, YouTube to get people to get on, get on under their referral system. So you did. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Oh nice, nice, nice. That was smart. That was smart. <laughs> but you know you can do that now. You can you can write your phone off for your YouTube business. You absolutely can. But again, I would just be reasonable about saying how much you use it for personal and how much you're using it for the business. So. Elijah, let's use you as a as a kind of a crash dummy in a scenario. You hey, use me. One one third, let's say for your Uber business. Um, let's say you have 
you know, let's say another third for your personal and then another third for your YouTube business. Right. So that's roughly 66.6% of your phone bill, right? Used for your business. But it's it'll be recorded separately. Right. On two different schedules. That's, gotcha. that's how I would do it. That's how I would do it. Another another tax pro may do it differently, but that's how I would do it. All right. Yeah, I like that. It's a very methodical approach because let's say if you do get audited, well, you have the proof to that up. Right. And that's not hard to kind of go back and, and reconcile and figure out. So, you know, again, you just want to be able to have a reasonable case that you could that you could, you know, discuss and and argue and defend against, you know. Right. All right. So we'll do two more questions and we'll go into the uh, general Q&A. Okay. Like uh, this is one that's very common, but uh, a lot of people wonder as a gig worker, do you need to pay quarterly taxes? Like how does that work? So again, you are a business owner, right? You're not a gig worker. You are a business owner. So repeat that to me. You are not a gig worker. You are a business owner. I know that's the popular thing to do, <laughs> in day, right? But again, you are entitled to all those things. And yes, if you if you think you're going to owe more than let's say two thousand dollars by the end of the year when it's time to do your taxes, you should be filing estimated payments or quarterly taxes. I tell folks to break it up into um, monthly into monthly payments because it, it tends to be a little bit more manageable. Mm -hmm. um, most people, most Americans are not good savers. So anytime they see money, anytime they see money, um, anytime they see money in their account, they like to spend it. <laughs> sadly, sadly, corporations spend billions of dollars a year on figuring out how to trigger people to spend money on their products. And it works. And it works. So I would say try to break it down quarterly. Um, figure out what your profits are or what you can do is here's a, an easier one. Let's say you've you've been uh, doing a ride share for like the last two years. Use your previous year monies that you owed and break it down to four. That's technically what the IRS would do. Right. So, for example, we are in the 2020 tax season. But when you filed your 2019 tax return, you owe twenty four hundred bucks. So that would break down to roughly $600 a quarter, or you could pay $200 a month and you would be squared away with the IRS. Hmm. I like that. You're very methodical about this stuff. I like that. I've been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of bumps and bruises. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll go into the uh, general Q&A. Okay. So DBX, what about using the rental program through the apps for a rental car? What is the maximum we can write off when using a rental cars? Whatever your cost for the rental is, whatever the expense is, or you can use the mileage when you, uh, when you are driving that rental car. So it's one or the other. Okay. Uh, uh, DB said I think mileage wouldn't be a write off for someone else's car. Uh, well, what's your, uh, what's you your use, that? I would, again, I would document it really, really well, but you can use it again. I would just document it really, really well. Cause you're still in the commission of doing business. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, let's see. What about monthly car payment, car insurance, and your residence? Uh, you you kind of explained that uh, already. but um, Well, monthly car payment, you can write off the interest that you pay on your car. Mm -hmm. um, you definitely can write off the car insurance. However, if it's, you just have one car, 
and you're doing, you know, ride share and, you know, personal things in your car, make sure you account for that. Don't, if you pay it, let's say you pay again, uh, let's say 2,400 bucks. That'll be the number today. You pay 2,400 bucks for the year, $200 a month for insurance. And you also use it for your personal. Don't try to write off the whole 2,400 figure out what portion of it is. That's why record keeping is so good. And so apps like, what were you talking about? Stride, I think you said. Yeah. Stride, Apology IQ. You you want to use those because they'll help you in in the long run. Because you can then, if you use them right. Now, if you don't use them, it won't matter. Trash in, trash out. If you don't use it, it won't matter. But if you use it, you can tell what's what's a business, uh, what's business mileage, and what is personal mileage. And you want to be able to keep that as a record so you don't get any trouble just in case the IRS tries to audit you. Now, for the record, I want to be very transparent. I'm I'm not a fear monger. The case of those audits are very low, like super low. Now, the IRS has announced that they are going to start. They said they're going to increase audits by 50% next year, right? And there's several ways a person can get audited. They can get audited by kind of doing something crazy by, let's say, um, saying that they spent $10,000, uh, let's say they spent $10,000 on repairs on a 2020 or 2021 brand new car that they just brought. So that's going to kind of draw, to draw a red flag. Like, listen, people do all kinds of stuff. You laugh. I mean, I laugh too. Don't get me wrong, but you laugh because you're like, that makes no sense, but people do it and they do it all the time. And so, I mean, it happens. I, I like to look at a lot of the, uh, the federal cases because people don't realize that, Tax pros get taken to jail all the time when they do something wrong. If they do something wrong, they get taken to jail. I don't know if you remember years ago, um, there was a lady that called herself the tax refund queen. I think she was from Florida. And she would be on social media flaunting that she got all these tax refunds. Well, comes to find out, she was actually stealing people's identities and then snatching their tax refunds. But she was flaunting. And then, and then got caught and then went to jail. And so at the end of the day, it's not worth it. So I say I like to say, even if the possibility of getting of getting audited is low, you still want to protect yourself because again, IRS audits are not fun. They like to know every nook and cranny of your life as possible. I mean, the IRS, I mean, a lot of people kind of paint the IRS as to be super duper vigilant on these things, but they're regular people too. And they're just trying to do their job a lot of times. Sometimes, like regular police, right? The IRS are the tax police. Like regular police, they can be abusive. However, all of them aren't bad. Not all of them. So it, it just depends. But you want to be prepared if that situation arises. So that's why I say, you know, do it right. Do it right. Keep good laws. Keep keep track of everything. Right. And uh, I know some people like to look at the IRS as like this big boogeyman. But if we're being honest, as a business owner, they're actually requiring you to keep accurate records. And uh, we should be doing anyway just if we're going to be completely honest you are 1000 percent right my friend <laughs> guess what the better records you create keep the better business you can run yeah when it comes to because some people will take their experience from working on these gig apps and they may actually start a, another business and mm-hmm. if you get in these habits when it goes to uh getting loans or getting grants they're going to want to see your records and you'll already have those habits built as opposed to looking like a deer in the headlights. That is true. That is very true. Yeah. You got a hey from Brooke. Well, what's going hey, on, Brooke? Appreciate you uh, tuning in.
Uh, Todd, I purchased two phones, one for Uber, one for Postmates. I may add other deliveries too. You know what? Um, I got a, a good question about that. So if he, I don't know if he has a personal phone and those other two phones, but if he's using one for Uber and one for Postmates and one for delivery, one for rideshare, like could he write off both of those? Or I mean, let's let's just go on off the data he gave us, right? Mm-hmm. Let's assume that personals are taken care of from the data he gave us. He has a phone for Uber, that's a business phone, and he has a phone for Postmates, that's a business phone. So he has two business phones that he can write off. Just on the surface. Now, if he's using them for personal use, you know, I would just make sure you document it. But again, I'm going to assume that he's using them for the business. Right, right. Uh, he also mentions uh, if you pay for gas, it should be a write-off. You are paying for gas. But if serves me correctly, wouldn't that fall under the actual expense method? It does. Yeah. So you got you got one or two. You can do standard or you can do actual. So, and Ty just said he has three phones. <laughs> so he's got two. He's got two phones for the plug, and he's got one phone for, to be personal. <laughs> yeah, he say I'm gonna spend the money anyway. I'm gonna spend it on my business and not give it to Uncle Sam. I can respect that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta weigh that out. You gotta weigh that out. You gotta weigh that out. Sometimes I see people that wanna just spend things just for the sake of spending things, using that same that same ideology, but. You gotta remember for every dollar you spend, you might only get back anywhere from fifteen to twenty-seven cents back in tax benefits or tax write-offs. So it's not a dollar for dollar benefit. Just remember that it's not a dollar yeah. for dollar benefit. Yeah, that's true. Now mm-hmm. uh, Brooke asks, do you recommend deducting the asset the first year we have it or over time? That's a good question. So uh like a good example is uh this MacBook I'm recording on. I bought it uh last year. And uh, I would have the option to uh, deduct all of it in that year or depreciate it over time. I chose all in that year. But like, what advice would you give to uh, Brooke? So it depends. So usually about 2500 anything over 2500 they ask for you to uh, do what they call depreciate or do it over time, as Brooke said. But it also depends because there's other little loopholes like, there's certain like assets you can write off and you can take it on the first year. It it really just depends. I would say nine times out of 10, I would take it up front. But if we're talking about, let's say a rental property, because I know a lot of people that are in the gig economy ultimately want to build up more passive income. And I know real estate and rental income is a hot spot for many of them. You're going to take the expense over the life of the property or over the life of time. And that's usually for a rental property is usually 27.5 years. So it just, it really depends. Some years you might know you're going to have a higher tax bill than others. Um, some years, you know, you might have a super low tax bill. So the year, let's say like this year, you know, you got a super low tax bill, but next year, which is actually right now, right? Cause we're in the 2020 tax year, but it's year 2021. So, you know, if you know that you've had a massive increase in business, in 2021 and you expect and project to continue to be massive and grow, you might say, you know what? I'm going to stretch out this expense because I know I needed to reduce my income for next year for the, for, well, for this year, right? But for next tax year. So you might say strategically, I want to push it out, but you know, again, it all depends. There are no 
one size fit all scenarios. There's no cookie cutter solutions. Right. So um, that's going to depend on a case by case basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. For Brooke, though, because we all know Brooke is like a social media guru, more than likely it would probably be best for her to take the, the expenses in the first year. More than likely. But again, sometimes it may it may vary. All right. And uh, DB, I know about the gas and such. It's about paying for the car itself. I think uh, we, we already addressed that. Um, Todd, what do you make? Will you rent or make payments? you be able to put on taxes, but they will answer it. Um, I'm not sure what you mean, Todd. Uh, are you, uh, if you could elaborate on that, we could uh, do it. Uh, Brooke has another question. So question, my business has been open three years and always and always do self-employed taxes, but my S-Corp took effect in October. So do I change for this year? I would need to see um, if your S-Corp went back to uh, uh, January of 2020 um, or if it was just starting. Like, I need to see the documentation because I'm in Brooke is definitely um, capable, but I always I always hesitate to uh, give answers like that because sometimes people will read something and it's not quite right. But more than likely, Brooke, more than likely, Brooke, let's use your, your scenario. You shouldn't have any self-employment tax in 2020. However, since you are now S-Corp, you are required to pay yourself a market rate salary. So hopefully you paid yourself um, as an employee, right? So the IRS knows that people are trying to get out of paying the self-employment tax. That's why all of most of these, most of these social media memes out here that say former S corp are trash, like they're absolutely trash because the IRS knows you're trying to get out of paying the self-employment tax, which is like 15.3%. However, when you're an employee, you're paying into FICA and Medicare and all that. That's in effect what SE or self-employment tax covers. The difference is when you're an S corp, you get to control more of it, right? Because what's market rate, right? I mean, it, it's kind of wide, right? You could you could have, a, I, I have clients who who have a million dollars in, let's say, profit, and many of them may only pay themselves, let's say, $100,000 in salary. So they put themselves on payroll for $100,000, but that, that not $100,000 is then going to be taxed as a distribution and not as self-employment tax, not as a, a nine to five uh, payroll employee either. So there there are some some loopholes, but again, you gotta do it right. And there is no free lunch. Mm -hmm. Congrats, Brooke, on getting your escort. That's that's pretty dope. That means you're making money, money. <laughs> Don't forget yeah. about you make it to the big town. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um Oh, it looks like Todd expanded on that. So uh, one is personal, three phones. So yeah, that's what I said. I said he got two phones for the plug and one, one for the boot. <laughs> All right. So um, we're gonna. I got one final question to close out. I think it's pretty appropriate. But you, as a tax professional, if someone's interested in uh, hiring you, uh, what can they do to make your life easy? Because I know some people when they hire a tax professional. This stuff is so all over the place. It's like, you're making it hell for me. <laughs> okay. Number one, follow the law. <laughs> um, that's first of 
songs. Keep good records. Keep good records. Um, and I don't. I love an informed client. I hate. I hate a uh, a scammy client. And let me give you a scenario. I have a client right now who thinks he knows everything, does all the research, but he's missing a lot of times the context, and he's always trying to be slick. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. And sometimes we wind up having these really contentious slash arguments or contentious conversations slash arguments that one are a total drain for me and two a total waste of time. Mm-hmm. If you don't trust me that I'm staying up the code now, I don't know everything, right? I have had clients come up and tell me, Kamari, did you see this new X, Y, and Z that they made in the tax code? I might have not seen it, right? Because things are changing, right? This last tax code change, I still have not reviewed everything just because of the timing and which it happened and everything that's coming out. There is still not guidance on a lot of these things per the IRS. So it's hard. It's really hard to do it. For example, the one, the family paid leave act. Um, a lot of people are going around doing memes about it. I still haven't seen any guidance on it. So people are saying, you know, the IRS wants you to take your paid leave. Yeah. Okay. I want to see how this one plays out because I don't think it's going to be as sweet as everybody thinks it is. However, you know, again, I still have not had the time to, to, to one, number one, the IRS still hasn't really come out with final guidance on it. That's number one. Two, I haven't had time to, to check up to see if the final guidance has come out, right? If for some things that have and what implications it, it may have on certain clients and not for others, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it just takes time to do the due diligence on this thing to really talk about it properly, right? Brooke just brought up something that's really nuanced, right? She talked about the escort. Well, I've worked with a bunch of those over the years, over two decades of experience. So I'm pretty got that down pretty bad. This is something that's coming in brand new this year. And then so I might just climb and be like, hey, I want to take that that federal leave. But he probably will have a loss on his tax return. And so nine times out of 10, that credit may not impact his business. It could, it could, but it wouldn't. But a lot of people want everything that they can get. And I, I get it. We pay tax on everything. Listen, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of saying taxes are your number one expense usually over your lifetime because you pay taxes state level, federal level. You know, everybody on here is ride share uh, or gig economy. So you know, look at the tax on the car you brought, or the tax on gasoline, or the tax on your cell phone. Like there's taxes on everything. We are overtaxed. However. There are certain things that are legitimate and there are certain things that can potentially get you put in jail if you go to extreme with it. So I'm not I'm with I'm with going into the gray area and pushing for a client that has good documentation uh, and that has the right to use certain um, uh, tax write offs. I'm not, however, willing to dream of numbers and just do something just for the sake of doing it. Like another one that's floating around is hire your kid, hire your kid. All right. Hire your kid. Great. Is your kid going to do work? Or are you just are you just hiring your kid for the tax write-off? Well, that can be really problematic. There's nothing wrong with hiring your child. But when you do it, just to do it for the formation or the, the formality of putting it on paper, and they're not a legitimate employee, then it becomes problematic. So, you know, I don't want to deal with anything that's legitimately problematic. So if you can do those things again, follow the law, keep good records, then you'll be pretty good. You'll be pretty good with me and anybody else. It's funny. I was having a conversation with another tax pro and they said, sometimes clients, a client's ignorance 
will make you think that they're trying to break the law, but in actuality, they're just using the normal jargon and slang. Mm-hmm. So they might say something like, uh, I paid this lady a kickback for getting me some business. Well, kickbacks are illegal, but I know what they're talking about. They right. might have given a commission or they might have, uh, you know, gave them a fee for being a referral or a marketing source. So, you know, certain words sometimes trigger people to think, hey, this person's not trying to be honest here. So, again, I would say keep good records, follow the law, and just try to educate yourself as much as possible. Don't just lean solely on your tax row. I would I would really start getting into more of the tax code because, again, it's one of the most important things that will impact your ability to make money, your ability to build wealth as you get older and more mature in your career. Nice. And uh, piggybacking off of that, I always say a lot of times with these things, the uh, balance lies between being a generalist and a specialist. Like in, in terms of taxes, you're the specialist and you want to hire someone that's a specialist. But um, that doesn't mean you should know nothing about it because let's just, let's just be honest. If you don't know anything about it, that could create problems in another way. You want to know at least a little about it and just be a little above that generalist place. And if you decide to go further into it, by all means, but um, just realize that there's a difference between a generalist and a specialist. Sweet spot for everyone is to eventually be in the middle. Don't be content just being a generalist. You want to know a little more about this stuff. Right. Because if you're talking to your tax professional and um, everything they're saying is going over your head, well, by, the, by law, they can only really give you safe and secure advice because you don't know that much about stuff. If you know a little more about what you're talking about, what they're talking about, then they can go into more detail and you can keep growing your knowledge. That's a fact. That's a fact. So we'll take uh, one last question. Oh, in- entertainment nerd. I appreciate you uh, checking this out. And uh, Brooke, deducting pro bono work. I'm glad you picked that one. <laughs> I'm glad you picked that one. You cannot write off pro bono work, people. You cannot deduct pro bono work. So, for example, Brooke's a social media manager. Um, let's say she went and did some work for the United Way, which is a nonprofit. She can't write that off. Let's say her rate is $100 an hour and she volunteers with them 10 hours uh, a month. So, right, that's $1,000. Can't write off that $1,000. However, you can write off any materials that you might use um, to perform that duty or that job. Uh, and any mileage that you might have uh, that you might have driven to perform that duty or that job as well. And the mileage rate for a nonprofit is not the same as a business. It's lower. I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, uh, but I didn't definitely... know that. Yes. Yep. Hmm. All right. Uh, she slid one more in. Uh, this will be the last one. Any book recommendations for educating ourselves on business taxes? Um. I would say, I'll be honest, go to the IRS, irs.gov. Um, if, and I'll also say that anybody that's proposing something to you, tell them to, excuse me, tell them to show you the documentation um, or the tax code per IRS. Um, and I would say irs.gov, it's not fun. It's, it's not fun. Uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else whose books um, are good. I can't think of anyone else. Um, off the top of my head, if I think of some more, I'll definitely, I'll definitely give them to you. 
All right. So um, just to be forthright, a lot of stuff that I'm reading is Iris tax code. Um, and some of like the books I have, they're like textbooks. So they're not like easy books to read, but I am coming out with like a whole series with, um, a buddy of mine who's a tax attorney to start breaking down the tax code so people can start unlocking the tax code, um, and leverage, and leverage it as much as possible. All right. And if, uh, anyone wants to, and this is for people who are listening on a playback or Facebook, We'll leave links to this in the description on the YouTube. But if uh, people want to work with you and uh, also uh, learn more about you, well, where should they go? You know, it's funny. I just got a new I just got a new uh, phone number and I haven't memorized it yet. But <laughs> anybody, anybody that wants to work with me, they can text me. Right. So that's two one five nine seven four zero zero five eight. Again, two one five nine seven four zero zero five eight. And just put tax when you when you text me. All right, so there we have it. We've had a uh, tax Q&A for, we uh, focused a lot on the gig economy, but we did branch off into uh, taxes as far as a business owner in general, which they're really connected. I want y'all to really start thinking about that. Like get out of this gig worker mentality stuff and start looking at yourself as a business owner. And things tend to get easier to get, get more smoother. And when you're looking up information, you can digest it a lot better if you see yourself as a business owner and not just this gig worker stuff. So we're going to go ahead and end it there. Appreciate you coming on, Kamari. And uh, for those of y'all that are listening on uh, Financial Anatomy, don't forget to get out there and take control of your financial destiny. And on uh, the app Lifestyle, this is phone, the world in the palm of your hands. It's a way to print money. Keep doing it. But also uh, make sure you give your fair share of taxes. Don't be giving more than you need to, if that makes any sense. No, <laughs> All right, Kamari, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, I'll, I'll catch all of y'all later. Don't forget to subscribe if you're new and hit that uh, like button. It's greatly appreciated. I'll catch y'all later. This episode may be over, but your hustling journey has just started. Visit the SideHustleSociety.com to access all links and resources mentioned in the show that will help you on your hustler's journey.